Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Whenever you're listening to the, this podcast, uh, we got a great episode here today for you uh, to the can- at the Cannabis Minority Report podcast here at the National Cannabis Industry Association. I am Michael Muto, the DEI manager at the NCIA. I'm joined by my co-host today, Kay Villamine, who is also the uh, chair of the State Regulations Committee. And we have two amazing guests uh, in honor of Asian American Pacific Islander Month, or Heritage Month. Uh, Ophelia Chung and Frank Louie. So going to be a great conversation today. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Um, it's also, uh, you know, unfortunately, the last episode of our season, season four. Season four has been a great season. It's been awesome to be here with everybody. Um, to be quite frank, we're a little bit up in the air for how season five is going to be and go. Some changes here happening at the uh, at the organization. Uh, so we're going to close season four uh, out with a bang, and then we'll uh, be in touch with all of our listeners as far as how season five is going to go. So with that said, um, you know, as we start every single week, uh, we're going to start out with uh, some NCI announcements and news, followed by the, uh, the, the non-NCI news, and then we will jump right into the conversation with Frank and Ophelia here. Uh, so the things that I want to talk about today as far as NCIA goes is this was a pretty intense couple of weeks. Um, I just got back off the road uh, with the Equity Workshop Tour. We did four workshops, Chicago, Detroit, Jersey City, and Brooklyn. Uh, and then followed that up, of course, with Lobby Days last week in Washington, D.C. Uh, we had our DEI delegation out there. We had brought some of the, the, the best uh, leaders in the social equity space and cannabis out there with us as part of uh, that contingency. We had about, um, I think there was about 100 uh, of, our, of our members were there as citizen lobbyists. And so it was just a really great experience. Uh, so with that said, the workshop, uh, I did take down some notes as far as the things I wanted to make sure to, to talk about here. So first of all, I, I thought that this was an amazing um, series. I think the thing that really uh, stuck out to me the most was just how important it was for people to be able to get together in intimate networking uh, settings. Uh, so the ability to sit down with structure and intimacy and have really um, you know, high level conversations uh, in, in a very focused amount of time. Uh, so I thought that, you know, it really showed to me that it's something that our, our, our industry is definitely in need of and I'm looking forward to continuing to do more of this. Um, speaking of continuing to do more of this, uh, we're looking at doing the next tour in the fall. So looking to do the same cities and considering some new cities to add. Um, I know, uh, you know, Minneapolis is a possibility. Baltimore is a possibility. Boston's a possibility. Uh, we've also been asked to come to Trenton in New Jersey. So there's definitely some uh, s- some options for what we could do next. And we will, like always, uh, crowdsource uh, the decision, figure out like who wants us to be where and make sure there's enough folks in each place to go. Um, so that said, a couple other things that, that stuck out to me, I think, that are really important here is the need for team building and partnering. Uh, that was a takeaway from all four workshops was that, you know, the – the conversations were about anything from where there was capital raising, uh, navigating municipalities, understanding how to work, you know, what you need to do as far as metric and things like that once you get your license or even before you get your license, what to be prepared for. But the big takeaway, I thought, was how much everybody realized uh, had that aha moment of I really need to build a team. I really need to build a better team. I need to build a, a team with more intention. Um, and that means internal as well as external, right? External, if it's the lawyers and the accountants and the insurance and so on and so forth. Internal meaning your different business partners and putting better attention into that. And also what it means to partner, which can often mean partnering with other businesses and figuring out how to do things collaboratively. Uh, we talk so much about collaboration in this industry, but what we constantly find is people not actually doing it properly. 
um, and not putting the proper attention and time and energy into it. So that was, I think, my big takeaway uh, from the workshops was, you know, one, the need for more intimate type settings like that. And then two, uh, really the big the big takeaways, uh, you know, we need to be focused more on what it means to build a team uh, and that that's going to be what leads us towards success. Um, the I do want to thank um, all of our sponsors that helped make this possible. This was uh, really a collaborative and team effort, uh, you know, not only from the sponsors, but the partner organizations, as well as the speakers and the facilitators of the roundtables, uh, the the regulator regulatory agencies who sent representatives and made sure that we had dynamic conversations with those present and the attendees. So really uh, a great all around experience. And then that led into lobby days and lobby days was um, pretty, uh, you know, amazing. I thought um, I thought that it was really interesting to see how we all came together, right? I mean, you have a hundred and something people coming from all over the country, all different aspects of the industry. And at the end of the day, what are we doing there? We're all lobbying for the same thing, right? We're lobbying for, uh, of course, safe banking, uh, the, you know, 280E uh, reform, uh, things of that nature, as well as just informing our Congress people and our senators and their offices, of course, uh, what it means that we're now, you know, this is this is an industry. This is not just simply... Uh, some a cottage industry, but it's an industry that's growing and that small businesses, Main Street businesses, social equity businesses, all these different businesses within the industry were legitimate. And we are really looking to to build something long lasting. And I thought that the conversations we had, whether it was with offices that weren't as keen or whether it was offices that were super supportive, um, in each case, they all needed to know more information from us and they needed us to be there showing up. And so that's my uh, my my plug for if you are thinking about coming next year, start thinking about it now. Start putting it on your calendar now. Um, spoke with somebody that sees Lobby Days at NCIA and BizCon in Vegas as their two big events for the year. I would say that, you know, if, if that's not maybe your two top priorities and you got a third or a fourth, that's fine. But I definitely want to encourage everybody to make that Lobby Days one of their top priorities because I think that it really was eye-opening to me just how much influence we can have there because of the kinds of conversations that that are there. I mean, the reality is, is that these staffers, they're not super up on cannabis most of the time, right? And so us being there in person, relating direct stories about our experiences in the industry, I think is really impactful. Uh, so anyway, that's my two cents on all of that. Make sure, let's see, any notes here that I have? Nope, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, hand this off to Kay, because I know, Kay, you have a couple great stories for us today on the news. So what do you got for us? Thanks, Mike, and happy Monday to everyone. Um, so two headlines for today. First one starting with um, psychedelics and uh, the federal agency announcing $1.5 million in funding for research on psychedelics to treat drug addiction. And so a top federal health agency is soliciting proposals for a series of research initiatives that's meant to explore how Psychedelics could be used to treat drug addiction with plans to provide $1.5 million in funding to, to support these relevant studies. So, you know, there's as public interest has grown in the therapeutic potential of psychedelics, the National Institute on Drug Abuse this week published three notices of funding opportunities for research to better understand how drugs like psilocybin and ayahuasca could help with substance use disorders. And, you know, while we're here for cannabis, there's definitely a crossover with the plant medicine and psychedelics such as psilocybin and ayahuasca and cannabis. So while all these three notices um, focus on the same overall objective, one would focus on the mechanisms of psychedelics, while the others would need to involve 
clinical trials with human subjects. So the agency is particularly interested in a better understanding of the types of neurobiological and network cha changes in the brain that yield to improve cognitive and emotional regulation and sustained behavioral change that's associated with administration of psychedelics. Um, so um, it was emphasized that for this type of research, it would be necessary to utilize modern neuroimaging and behavioral analytic tools to really illustrate the changes that are elicited by certain psychedelics. So in simpler terms, the agency really wants to learn how psychedelics works on a mechanistic level um, you know, other studies have shown that substances like psilocybin hold significant potential in treating addiction, and there's ongoing clinical trials to, to further um, substantiate that, but there, there's still a lot of knowledge gaps in that, you know, fundamental question of how does it work. So, you know, the agency it plans to award, um, to distribute four awards that totals $1.5 million in funding collectively in the 2024 fiscal year. And so if you want to apply, eligible applicants include universities, nonprofit organizations, for-profit for -profit businesses, and state and local governments and federal agencies. So that's the first um, first news of the day. And where, uh, what, what agency was that again, Kay? That is the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Okay, got you. Was it NIDA or something like that? NIDA or something like that? NIDA, yep. Yeah, yeah, got you. Cool. Awesome. No, thanks, thanks for bringing that. Uh, what else you got for us? Yeah, so um, more regional news. So just on Thursday, the Minnesota House voted 7357 to legalize adult use cannabis. It's uh, the proposal to compromise between the two respective legislation bills that's already passed by the House and the Senate. So this bill allows Minnesotans 21 and older to buy up to two ounces of flour, eight grams of concentrates, and up to 800 milligrams worth of edible products at a time, and they could possess the same amounts in public. Um, Minnesotans could also grow up to eight cannabis plants with no more than four flowering at a time. So the bill is a compromise between versions that were already passed by the House and the Senate. It includes a 10% tax on sales and also sets possession limits in homes at two pounds, the highest among states that have approved the reforms. And so the measure also creates, um, it creates an office of canvas management. So it, it creates a control board, which, over, which would oversee licensing of medical adult use and have the right products. It would also include automatic expungement of misdemeanor cannabis convictions and establishes another committee to consider expungement of fel felony level crimes. So it's approved by the Senate and signed by the governor, which he has promised to sign. Um, the is cultivation and possession would be legal this August 1st. Wow. Wow. So um, assuming that goes through, it sounds like we do have to maybe head, head up Minneapolis on the equity workshop tour because that's exciting stuff. Um, you know, Minnesota has been interesting with the way that they've handled, been handling beverages. I think um, that's been uh, something I've been, it's been fascinating. Uh, I kind of want to get out there. So um, do you know if, uh, if under this, they would have, like, would there be dispensaries or would it be kind of like what we've seen with some of the beverages where it's kind of a lot of being mainstream? Do you, do you know about that or not? Or is that still something that's farther I, down the line? I, yeah, I think it's not, it's not really clear yet right now. It's just purchase and possession. Okay. Gotcha. 
Awesome. Well, no, thanks for those stories. Um, so look, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump right into, um, to the conversation here with, uh, with Frank and Ophelia. Definitely want to make sure we get to that today. Uh, as soon as possible. Um, the way I want to kind of set this up is I, I do want to thank Ophelia and Frank um, on a personal level. Uh, you know, when I reached out, uh, it's been a couple of years ago now, I think. Um, I was actually working with Kay at the time, and we still are working in the background on putting together some kind of an, an Asian cannabis alliance. It's something we've been developing and working on, but we've decided not to launch yet because we have way too many other things going on at this point in time. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because when I reached out to Ophelia, when I reached out to Frank, um, the, the amount of support and just really the, the, the best, uh, feedback as well as the supportive feedback, uh, was really invaluable to me. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that, uh, I, I believe in strongly is mentorship and in the cannabis space and amongst Asians, especially, I think mentorship is something that's really rooted in our, in our culture and our history. And so reaching out to Frank, reaching out to Ophelia, uh, two people who came very high recommended and who honestly, especially early on, I was a little bit, you know, um, intimidated by the conversations. I was like, hey, you know, like you guys have done a lot already in the space for Asians and for cannabis. Um, but the humility that I was met with and just the support I was met with was really, really meant a lot to me. Um, and so it's really awesome for things to kind of come full circle and now be here on this conversation together. I uh, really appreciate you guys joining, you know, Frank from uh, Cal Asian Pacific Chamber of Commerce and Ophelia, of course, um, from, you know, I mean, well, a lot of different things that Ophelia you have going on. Uh, but I know, you know, the, the main thing that I, of course, the main capacity I know you in is Asian Americans for cannabis education. Um, so with that said, you know, welcome to the show. Uh, really glad to have you here. Um, thanks for being here. So, um, so the first thing I really want to do to, to kind of get things kicked off is just to ask the basic question about, you know, um, your, your respective uh, organizations, the Cal Asian Pacific uh, Chamber of Commerce, as well as AACE. Um, just kind of if you could give us uh, just a brief overview of what these um, these agencies are or these organizations are, especially regarding, you know, Asians in the cannabis industry. Uh, so let's start uh, here with Ophelia. What? Sorry, had to unmute myself. Because, you know, as Asians, we just like to go on and on. So I had to self-mute there. Um, yeah, Asian Americans for Cannabis Education is a mouthful, ACE, right? And so it kind of goes back to the pun of, yeah, ACE your exams, good child, right? So in in this uh, tribute to uh, overly ambitious parents, we called it ACE. So uh, because they're the ones that don't want you to smoke weed. And ACE was started because we have, um, just like in every industry, when you walk into a room, uh, there's a very, very small percentage of any minority, right? Um, and uh, even less so for cannabis. So ACE was started because of that, that I found there are even less of us in, in this. And uh, for many reasons, oh, of course, as a, if you're an Asian person, you probably already know off the top of your head, 10 of them, and nine of them are your parents. And so... Um, it was created to give us a supportive network to get together and go, ugh, and sort of whinge on, ah, you know, I got to hide my job from my parents, you know, but you're LinkedIn, you're working at where, 7-Eleven? Got to keep it that way. So even yesterday, I found someone who can't tell the parents. But anyhow, um, I'm going to go to Frank and tell you that ACE was started because there just ain't enough of us yellow faces out there. But there's a lot more. Uh, at the beginning, it was very hard. Now it's just like, hey, I want to be on ACE. You want to talk about weed? Okay. So on to Frank. Yeah, thanks, Ophelia. Uh, and I've had the pleasure of um, meeting Ophelia. It, I think it's been probably six or seven years ago and was inspired by 
uh, what she had created and the work she had done. And, um, and it inspired me as well to, to, to really leverage and, and grow what we were doing here at uh, CalAsian. Um, and obviously, Mike had the pleasure of meeting you several years ago as well. So the CalAsian, so it's really unique. The CalAsian, the CalAsian Chamber slash Foundation, we also have a foundation. A lot of the cannabis uh, education goes under that uh, program. But but just by the nature of who we are, we're the largest ethnic chamber in California, obviously with a mission to empower and enable over 600,000 API businesses uh, in California. Um, but but all of our programs, including cannabis, focus on diverse minority businesses, uh, advocacy policy and business assistance. So um, but but at the capital, certainly for for the diverse uh, entrepreneurs, but at the capital, we we definitely carry the flag on, on behalf of our Asian uh, businesses and entrepreneurs in both the startup and, and large scale businesses throughout throughout the state. Um, we focus on all industries and have been very uh, focused on all emerging industries. Uh, I, I saw cannabis in, in 2016 as an industry that was going to need a lot of education, um, you know, roundtables, stakeholder meetings, getting regulators together, elected officials and entrepreneurs who had never done that before. So that's where our program started in 2017 was to tr be an advocate for facilitating all that engagement and then coming up with you know potential solutions to make the industry more effective. Um, and we've done that in cannabis and energy and electrification and you know climate change. So so almost every industry we 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 lead in those uh, in those ways, right? So uh, that, that's a little bit about the Calasian, and uh, you know it's been fun, exciting, and um, um, you know. Flex, you know, ultra, ultra flexible in, in trying to navigate the cannabis industry, but but on behalf of the uh, entrepreneurs trying to navigate on their behalf to help them move forward in in starting starting a business, growing a business, or saving their business. Right? You, you can name them all. Right? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a little bit about yeah. And I'm I'm the chief operating officer and run all, the, but also just my, my maybe history, passion, um, not not afraid of cannabis, not unfamiliar with cannabis kind of led those programs um and I, we'll get into this later but around also normalization right trying, trying to integrate it into an organization like ours that is not a cannabis organization right so you know there you have it right awesome thank awesome. you to you both for building these great organizations my my next question is actually to both of you and i'll bring it back to ophelia um so right now we're in the midst of aapi heritage month what does that mean to you, particularly with regards to our industry, but also on a more personal level? I wish it was more February because then we could actually roll in Chinese New Year's into that month <laughs> because it, it's actually a celebration, too, because I, um, just because they told me it's AAPI month, it doesn't really matter mean that much to me. Uh, it's just a month. Basically, because uh, Frank's work and my work and all of our work in and Mike's and yours is year round. It's not. Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, that's Asian month. Got to kick off all this stuff. And then <laughs> it's the same old thing. It's just like similar to Mother's Day. Got to send mom a card right now. we got to send all our favorite Asians and put them on Instagram drinking whatever we're trying to sell. So <laughs> um, it's nice that we have that focus. But really, as we go move forward unless we have more political action, it, it's just a nice pat on the head. Um, 
for for us but because really are we getting any benefits did we get like a discount at hertz cars or something i mean so it's yes it's a focus on asian and americans but what does it really mean why can't we do this all year round so that's my rant okay sorry yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel you definitely uh, do do it all all year round, every day. So, so the, which is why you're uh, you know so, so passionate and, and focused on, on these areas. Um, uh, and Kay, I'll, I'll respond on on that question as well. I mean, I so I grew up in the technology space, but I grew up on 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 really the sales and business development side. And, and amazingly, um, there weren't that many Asians doing that. I mean, literally, right. You know, so, so in large corporate America. So I just, rem I kind of carried that with me. I was very successful and had a great time and it didn't create an issue for me, but it just would have been nice if, if to, to see more Asians getting into that role. And, and I've always carried that with me and, you know, and, and I've always been a supporter and engaged with entrepreneurships and startups and in predominantly tech and energy space. And, and there was never enough diversity and, and engineers were always, I mean, the Asians were always the engineers and the accountants and the, and the, and the scientists, but they weren't on the front lines and, and it always just kind of stuck with me. Right. Um, and until I joined the chamber almost seven years ago, I, I wasn't really in a role to kind of give back and focus energy on that. And, and that's what I did. And, and it just so happened that the timing of when I joined the chamber in 2016 lined up with the launch of the cannabis space. And I said, we have to, you know, do the same in the cannabis space, just like we would in technology or any other industry. So that's kind of how it started. I mean, to be honest with you. So and, and I would say definitely AAPIs, but but, you know, at the chamber, since we're, we're more diverse than just Asians, you know, it's really an advocacy for diversity and inclusion with with an emphasis on the Asians that may not have an understand and be comfortable with the pathways to get there. They just aren't traditionally out there. They aren't in front of lawmakers and their city council members and, you know, trying to influence regs and things like that. So it's, it's education, right? It's about teaching them how to um, understand that that's how you move the dial, right? And, and being um, comfortable or actually not even being comfortable, being um, comfortable with being uncomfortable in, in, in those those situations. And, you know, I think a lot of the Asian entrepreneurs uh, and, and workforce still still are not there yet. Right. As far as, you know, being out front and taking risk and being uh, being vocal. Right. So, oh. yeah. Yeah. Ophelia. I just want to have one thing because uh, I sorry, Kay, I. And now I'm reading your full question for uh, AAPI week for in our industry. I think the best thing we can do if this month is a focus month is focus on the leaders in cannabis who are Asian AAPI yeah. to show the, the on the fence Asians. Oh, they went to Columbia, West Point, Harvard, yeah. Yale, and they're in weed. Ha huh. Johnny, you junior. What about you? Right. So um, <laughs> it is showing that these people uh, like, say, for instance, Stephen Jung of PAX, right? Yeah. One of my favorite people in the world. Uh, the CRO. West Point, Columbia, Twitter, Weed Maps, now uh, PAX, right? And also, one of the hottest dudes I've ever met. He is also a captain in the <laughs> Army. Holy crap. Walking into that room with, with him, next, Stephen, next to me, it's like, 
I tell people, I know him so I can do this. I can touch him. (laughs) And it's people like that that is not only looks like Captain America, but also a very big proponent of cannabis and uh, MSO. That's how we celebrate AAPI Week, a month in cannabis, by putting people up that. And like Tiffany, so of Snoop Dogg, right? Uh, So that's what I – sorry, Kay, I – I glossed no. over your question. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's, a, that's a great point, Ophelia. I think um, Ophelia does a great job. I try to, uh, you know, highlight some of those because people will see their journey and their choice, their choice to enter into cannabis, their choice to be, to take their skills and experience that that are absolutely, um, you know, recognized and amazing. And they choose to apply it in this industry w- without fear of, of the of the backlash of that and that's really where, where it starts right um uh, at least for the api you know executives right yeah no absolutely i think it's something that you know, we honestly see um common i think in in a lot of the different minority or gold majority groups right the stigmatization that happens and you know just throw my two cents in on this um i think that you know what affiliate you know you brought up at the very beginning of this uh this this will around here uh, you know, I didn't, I don't even know when AAPI month started, honestly. Like, I think last year was the first year that I was aware of it. Um, and and I'm curious, and I keep meaning to look it up to see when did it start? How did it start? Why did it start? Um, you know, my, my take on it when it initially came out, you know, okay, we, me and you had a conversation about this was, is this just another marketing ploy? Is this another way that, you know, companies that really actually don't care that much could just kind of, you know, like have another marketing uh, campaign that month? Um, and what I've warmed up to personally is kind of like we were talking about Ophelia there you know, and Frank also on the normalization side of things mm-hmm. and being able to like use it as a span of time where others maybe have a little bit more spotlight or paying attention a little bit more. And we can say, OK, here's leaders in the space and we need to highlight the leaders in the space to your point, because when people see leaders in the space, they go, oh, I could do that, too. And, oh, that's a similar background that I have. And I'd like to figure this out, too. This is, oh, you know, I meet people all the time where cannabis was a passion of theirs or plant medicine or or just creating something different. It was a passion of theirs and being outside of the box, so to speak. And I think that if we can really highlight folks that are doing that already, like, as you mentioned, the gentleman you mentioned, we had Peter Sue on here a couple of weeks ago also, you know, with like, I think he got like 17 different certifications in, in the banking space. <laughs> um, it shows that this is a legitimate thing, right? This is not just folks like myself that are coming from the legacy space, but also folks that are coming from, you know, highly degreed uh, professions, highly regulated other industries. So anyway, that's my two cents on it. Um, and, and it's a good segue into the next question I have for Frank here. You know, um, you, you've, you've touched upon this, but the Cal Asian Chamber of Commerce is not... A cannabis organization, right? It's been longstanding. It's, it's a group of lots of other industries, to your point, with folks that are, you know, maybe a lot of them even have that stigma against cannabis, and they're coming from spaces where maybe they're still even drug tested, and, and depending on what, what profession mm-hmm. or field they're in. You know, what has that experience been like for you to, you know, and why is it so important? And how has it been like to have this cannabis division of the Cal Asian Chamber? Yeah, I know it's a great question, um, but but it, but it, it it truly to me it truly was about normalization and integrating it into the fabric of um, the business climate and community in the industry. You it can't oh it can't be a one off and it can't be a special circumstance because if you enter in that way, it'll always be that way. So um, so you know it's really interesting, you know, Mike the. When I brought this, so, the, so think back of uh, 2016, Prop 64, I remember coming to our president and CEO and the board of directors um, 
saying, I wanted to create these programs to help entrepreneurs, but also help regulators understand the space, get together, brainstorm, you know, roundtable, benchmark other industries to create a reasonable industry in California. Now we have a long way to go, but but it was it was on that uh, approach. There was many people that were maybe obviously weren't for that or or others were neutral. And remember our our board is mostly corporate America, so they don't participate anyway. Well, they do, but they won't they won't admit it, right? So if you're a phone company or a cell company or a computer company, you are participating, right? Uh, you have clients. Our utility companies were all big, you know, they had lots of large clients. So, so, but it was a matter of education and, and being a um, a resource to bring people together, and and found that our connections at the legislator and the re- and the regulators allowed us to connect entrepreneurs they didn't know and wouldn't have never met if we didn't bring them together. Um, so, to me, it was normalization of, you know, I'll do it respectfully and safely and not get the chamber in trouble, so to speak. And it's been a great journey from that platform, right? Um, and 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 since we've launched, you know, business assistance, technical assistance, we have a social equity incubator to help launch businesses, and we've launched many business licensed businesses with social equity entrepreneurs. We would have never been able to do that without, you know, the support of the chamber saying yes, we should help minority entrepreneurs, and yes, because it's legal in California, we shouldn't exclude that industry. And that was the first kind of transition to normalization. We're, it's not there yet. We still get a little tension, but but it's not, but it's not, but it's allowed. Let's put it that way, right? So you know, that, 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 yeah. that, that's huge right there. What you just said, I think, is that it took the resources of the mainstream, right? The mainstream resources to really help stand things up. And you know, we yeah. do see this where people come from mainstream industries into cannabis. But I think that what you're talking about, you're talking about an organization with its resources coming into cannabis. And I think that's a whole nother level from what we've really been seeing for the most part. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So Um, our policy efforts, um, you know, the connections we have with local jurisdictions and and leaders in those jurisdictions, it all was valuable to help move the dial. Right. Um, And and, uh, you know, along with many others, I mean, the chamber was just one of those unique kind of one-offs that wasn't a cannabis industry association. Um, and I think it was valuable to be honest with you. I felt, I felt, uh, I feel you, you know, we, we've chatted about this. I felt like I could get into a room or meet with certain people that I was in there because I was the Calasian chamber, not a cannabis association. It actually maybe opened some doors that wouldn't have otherwise been opened. It, was, it wasn't intentional that way. It just, it worked out that way. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Um, One of the things that I've been thinking about lately uh, from an NCAA perspective is I've been having these conversations with, you know, let's talk about other trade associations from like there's, you know, the Realtors Trade Association. There's the Insurance Trade Association. These are mainstream trade associations that are now adding cannabis programming to some of their conferences or their Zooms or whatever it may be. I I think I think you're onto something here, Frank. (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely. Um, Yeah. Long way to go. uh, And a lot of a lot of effort needs to still go into um, you know, aggressively integrating it and normalizing it, right? And then that's where uh, that's why Ophelia's work has been so great because it's it's about people, it's about Asians certainly, but but it's really about just being visible enough and talking about it enough to to make it a normal business conversation, right? Not a 
not a one-off kind of, you know, secret, you know, discussion, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Not just something in the cannabis closet, right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, speaking of normalization and, and the closets that kind of exist in this plant medicine world, uh, Kay, I know you have a question that you wanted to, uh, to throw out here. Um, I think towards affiliate, but um, I, I don't want to take the words out of your mouth. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, just to kind of switch things up over here, um, we, I was, uh, Ophelia, what is uh, next in the realm of psychedelics? Psychedelics? Um, <laughs> um, loads of stuff. Do you stuff. have any advice you have for folks um, looking to jump into from cannabis I'm to going, psychedelics? Uh, I'm going to mute myself just because you can hear this truck coming up. Sorry, but I'm in a neighborhood that people are constantly renovating. So um, psychedelics. Well, okay, going back to that 1.5 uh, grant, that's not a lot, especially if it's going to be chopped up in little chunks, right? Because we all know how much a trial costs. And um, if we're going to talk on the subject of psychedelics and Asians, it's going to be very interesting because um, it is not seen in the same bucket mm -hmm. as cannabis, right? And uh, it does come, has a long history in a traditional Chinese medicine cabinet, right? Because only since 1960, I think 1960, we've been not allowed to use, because of Schedule 1 UN, um, as Mike knows, uh, I, uh, basically psilocybin and cannabis, which are two ingredients in the Chinese um, medicine cabinet, TCM, and been using that for 5,000 years. The last 50, 60 years so far, it's been wiped off. Right. Um, so that's going to be interesting because we have 5000 years of history with that, but yet only 60 years of prohibition. But it is the last two generations. So how do we change that generation's minds? I have found that with psychedelics, the client client group usage in the data is mostly over 40. Right. 40 and up. It, they're not seen as recreational. Um, and that is, uh, again, breaking down to general population, whites, Asians, uh, African-Americans, the same amount, but they're using it for a different reason. And that's how we can approach it with um, education on psychedelics is PTSD, trauma, shame spiraling. All that is very uh, embedded in Asian uh, culture. We shame our children. Uh, we put them under a lot of pressure, a lot of trauma, a lot of domestic and uh, abuse, right? You're not getting your grade. This is hap it happens. And um, so we work with a lot of Asian Americans who have gone through that trauma. So the acceptance of psychedelics is going to be very different than the acceptance of cannabis on that side. Because once they see agency, a doctor is going to prescribe it because that's where it's going to go. They, it's all kind of flipped in their mind. Hey, it's not a drug. It's a drug drug, not a drug. It's a drug drug that I'm going to get a script for. So then that flips in the Asian American mind. So that's okay. So that's the answer for psychedelics and Asians. Once your grandma sees her doctor write that prescription <laughs> out, hell yeah, it's okay. Right. But that one and a half million dollars is not going to go very far. Um, Right. And that's where, again, it's almost like circling back here. And, and I think that's why it's interesting to see the psychedelics uh, space kind of developing now and maybe learning. We can learn some of the lessons from the cannabis space. To, to, to Frank's point, 
with normalization, but maybe it doesn't have, it sounds like as far with normalization to go as cannabis did. Um, but we can still learn from some of those lessons. So it still is a smoother process, <laughs> um, than, than, than it would be otherwise. Um, so yeah, I know. Awesome. Uh, let's see, make sure that I got a couple of things here. I definitely want to make sure to ask you all about, Oh, um, I mentioned lobby days earlier, so I definitely would be remiss to not uh, bring this up, especially, uh, you know, Ophelia, um, I'm pretty sure you're still on the board of the USCC, if I'm not mistaken. Congratulations for that. That's a pretty awesome. When I saw that announced, uh, I think it was last year, I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, we have some some solid representation within uh, a very important board now. Um, so, uh, you know, with that said, our, 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 our two organizations were part of a, a recent letter to the Senate Banking Committee um, and on safe banking, right, about, hey, the importance of safe banking and the legitimacy and that this is all of the trade, not all of the trade associations, but some of the major national trade associations coming together to agree about this. Um, so, you know, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what are some of, you know, the legislative priorities that you also are seeing through USCC that are coming out? Um, you know, is it, you know, yeah, is safe banking, is that the main thing you guys are working on? Like, what's going on with USCC uh, on this side of things? Uh, well, now we have a new leadership, so we're moving towards weekly governing uh, meetings on Tuesday. So a lot of more of us are more informed about what's going on. And we have Ed Conklin now as our executive director. Very amazing. I mean, everyone before that, of course, was just equally amazing. Um, I always like a little leadership shift because sometimes they bring something new. So uh, basically, you probably already know this. This is from um, Ed but they are, once it's outvoted at a committee, hopefully Schumer will then find the time to, to be considered on the floor, right? So that is what it is, is working for it. And also um, the vote could occur, occur in Congress, but it'd be July, October. But with this Congress, Mike, who knows, right? We, it's such a, it's a wild, uh, <laughs> You could have someone that you never thought wanted cannabis all of a sudden pop up for it. This is so it's it's so all over the place. Um, and but really, my it's not just safe banking it's 280E that is killing everybody. And New York is going to find that out. Right. New Jersey. Good for them. Statewide. No 280E. Right. But uh, New York right. is going to discover that, too. And we're going to come up on more um, brands as dying by the wayside and within a year we're going to seize a lot of and, that and retail as well and just throw us in here so that folks are, that are listening are aware you know when we say no 280 at the state level it still means that those businesses still have to pay 280 or pay the taxes that are associated with 280 at the federal level it just means they do get some kind of a break at the state level from new jersey a couple other states have come online with that too so uh you know definitely in the right direction but we still need that federal reform as well uh, I think it's Small Business Tax Equity Act is the new act that's been re that's been introduced in the last couple of weeks. Um, I can't remember the, the bill number, but that's the that's the, the name of the bill. And it was introduced just a couple of weeks ago, and that would help resolve this whole 280E mess that would allow cannabis businesses to be taxed like any other business, not triple, quadruple, or even quintuple times the tax burden uh, on top of having to deal with everything else it means to be a cannabis business and starting out a new industry. Um, so, no, yeah. th thanks for, uh, for bringing that up. Yeah. And because the brands and distributors are all now hiring collection agencies, right? In the last three months, all the major ones. And that means not only on the store retail level, everyone's going to get squeezed from every side, right? Um, right. And 
there is how there's no way of getting at it because the cheapest loan you can get right now is not paying your 280e it's only six percent that is the cheapest loan you can have so there's some businesses thinking we're just going to protest and not pay it because really we're only 60 six percent on that it's cheaper than a loan um so there are some businesses considering joining together to basically boycott 280e and just uh just bank that six percent okay that's an interesting strategy, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out when uh, with with the federal government. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Frank. Do you have anything to add on this kind of stuff? Um, I know that you know Cowies and Chamber doesn't actually work on the federal level in that way. But, yeah, uh, not on the federal, but but just to just to build on. Um, I mean, it's so critical. Or uh, you know, banking and taxes, right? I mean, if we don't fix that, um, it's going to be a challenge. Um, constantly right so so i think businesses will you know go extinct because of a lot of those reasons and um you know we have to do something you know certainly as as much as we can at the state level but certainly that you the advocacy for you that you uh and ophelia lead on on the federal level is so so important right some kind of relief right uh in, in some way shape or form um and i think you know to ophelia's point around you know the the supply chain and the the uh you know kind of like this impending you know backlog of accounts payable um uh, backlog i mean it's a major major issue and you're starting to see legislation in all in california right that's being proposed um to try to address that or resolve that or delay that or suspend it i mean something you know all the above everyone's looking for ways um and, and i think if we don't you know we're going to see some other you know larger businesses especially go out of go out or, or leave or leave the state. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I know topic, it's already, yeah. it's already killing a lot of the small businesses, right? A lot of these For small sure. businesses are really just okay. struggling How? to just keep their doors open. Yeah. How do we say cure a leaf? Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt the large ones uh, have the ability to pivot and leave, but, but Mike, to your point, the small businesses we're helping, they're never going to launch if, you know, so if we've been working with them for, three or four years now and and now this th this is hitting the industry you know when do they get to start their journey right they, they may not right which is which is even you know maybe more sad right in that in that case um yeah and you know i'll take it a step further than sad it's it's really um despicable i think that we've created these this industry in multiple states and said to folks, hey, if you've been justice involved, impacted, whatever it is, we'll get you to the front of the line with the licensing. That's right. And then, okay, but we know that on the back end, the odds of you actually launching that business after spending four years, five years, six years of your family's money and your time and all your family's stress and energy yep. into it, we know that at the end of that, you're still not going to be able to stand up. Oh, by the way, federal legalization will come a few years later and we'll go ahead and open the doors up at that point to everybody. So... Anyway, that's my soapbox there for a second. Um, you know, I, I know that it's something that, you know, we're all passionate about, which is why we're here in the first mm -hmm. place, um, is making sure that the small businesses, especially the social equity, uh, you know, uh, yeah. businesses are able to succeed. Um, with that said, though, let's go ahead and uh, we're going to take a break here in a second. Um, and uh, when we come back, we got our Canna Quiz, uh, which is a, our, our game that we play here every week. Uh, you know, no, don't worry, Ophelia, you can't have studied for it. So, you didn't, you know, you, 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 you can still you can still fail. But you don't have the pressure of having been able to study for it ahead of time. So um, we'll come back in just a minute and uh, we'll see how Frank and Ophelia do on that. So Vince, take us away. 
Well, here at the National Cannabis Industry Association, we have proudly represented small businesses across the cannabis industry since 2010. We represent Main Street cannabis, not Wall Street cannabis. We have come so far in this fight to legalize cannabis that it seems that it's almost inevitable. And we're the ones making sure that as those rules are written, they favor small businesses, mom and pop operators, and Main Street cannabis, not Wall Street cannabis. In addition to making sure that your voice is heard at the federal level, being a member of NCIA also means building a vibrant community of small business owners within the cannabis space. Because we can always learn so much better by working together, learning from our mistakes and our successes and building this industry together. So if you're interested in making sure that small businesses and Main Street cannabis has a seat at the table, be sure to join NCIA at thecannabisindustry.org. All right, welcome back. So we before we go into our Canna quiz game, um, just one last question for both of you. So what are the uh, other priorities or initiatives that are coming up for AAC and CalAsian? Um, for ACE, we are now a nonprofit. Okay, yeah, I'm slow, okay? Because it's been self-funded uh, since 2015. Um, Someone said, you better be a nonprofit. And, All right, okay, I'll take be a nonprofit. So now I'm nonprofit. But also we've been uh, putting on potlucks, which is local events. Uh, we started with 48 people. Now we get an average of about 240. The next one I'm working on, I want to give everyone a room. This place has 19 karaoke rooms and a big <laughs> bar and LED screens in a bar. It's a private space. In El Monte, which is a part of yeah. Chineseville, um, so NCA can have a room, karaoke room dedicated to you, Cal Asian can, and then brands can for free have each of, because then that way you're able to go into a room, talk to people, sing a stupid song and get really wasted with weed. Sorry, did I say <laughs> that? And just build, uh, build partnerships because that's an easier way of doing it than across from a sterile desk drinking Starbucks coffee, right? Stupid songs, the Bee Gees, <laughs> weed, and and have you heard of NCIA? Well, yeah. Oh, tell me, right? So <laughs> that's that's what's up for Ace right now. And when, when um, is this? When is this happening? Uh, soon, because I'm gonna go take a look at the place. Whoop whoop. Yeah. So um, uh, I will get on it, Mike. Don't and forget to send us an invite. Yeah. And, and get your playlist together for that karaoke group. Yacht Rock, I'm saying, is the winner. All right. There you go. Frank, over to journey. you. Yeah. Thank you, Ophelia. You know, always look forward to uh, your events and, uh, you know, some some fun approach, So, which is why, why we love you so much, right? Um, I would, so, CalAsian, so, so, I mean, I know Mike and Phil, you know this, but we, so we, in 2018, we launched our California Grow Green Incubator Program. It was direct technical assistance and business assistance for social equity entrepreneurs and API entrepreneurs throughout the state of California. So we've worked with um, the city of Sacramento, the city of LA's uh, business licensing compliance um, group with DCR. Uh, we just launched the city of San Jose. We call it the SIBA program. Uh, um, cannabis Equity Business uh, Academy to help uh, social equity entrepreneurs get ready for 10 new retail licenses in San Jose. And then we also, uh, a couple months ago, launched the GET program with the County of Monterey, which is growing equity together 
which is to help focus um, predominantly on some of these um, legacy farmers uh, to launch an outdoor these outdoor grow projects. Um, pretty pretty interesting. I mean, kind of, it's a steep hill to climb, but uh, but at least an opportunity um, and, and many others. And then we continue our cannabis talks um, roundtable series. And as Ophelia mentioned earlier, we we do have one. So so again, we we do these all every quarter, but we we do kind of focus on AAPI leaders. Um, and we're going to do one on May um, May thirty first. And like you you said, Ophelia, you know we've got Arden Lee from uh, Weed Maps and Peter Tang Plug Play, Angela Pai will with State House, uh, Tiffany Chin, Death Row Cannabis, and and um, Hua from uh, Meadow. Uh, and then Charmaine Chua, who now works with, for Stephen over at PAX. So you know, like another pivot, another pivot. And um, you know, as people try to navigate their 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 own leadership journey for for what I think are amazing Asian entrepreneurs and executives in the space. Right. So that'll be um, May 31st. I'll share that with you, Mike and Kay, and you can distribute in your network and Ophelia um, as well. So looking forward to all of the above. Right. Excellent. Excellent. I remember uh, last year um, you guys had a similar conversation at AAPI month and yeah. I, I remember it was a great conversation. So looking forward to see this one as well. And congratulations on, on San Jose and Monterey. I know you've been working on those for a while. Uh, so that's awesome. Great stuff. Thank you. Frank. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. And I'll, I'll reach out to all of you for help. <laughs> right on. <laughs> how, how do you know, like we said, how do we, Ophelia's always been great and you finding me people and the right resources, Mike yourself, but how do we help these entrepreneurs who are all minority entrepreneurs navigate and launch a business. Literally we've launched many, which is great. Now we have to keep them in business, but now, now here's a whole nother set of new entrepreneurs. Yeah. They're on a journey on a, on a rough journey. Right. So. Absolutely. It's a never yeah. ending, uh, never ending journey. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's why it's important to do things that are lighthearted, like our candy quiz right here. So yeah. okay. uh, candy quiz, the way it works, it's a multiple choice. Uh, basically there's two questions. Uh, we'll ask uh, we'll ask Ophelia, we'll ask Frank, each of you gets their way in, and then uh, we'll go do the second question. So I'll lead off with the first question here. Uh, first question is, let's see here now, uh, cannabis legalization has been full steam ahead coast to coast for a decade now. Let's look, let's look back at when prohibition still ruled uh, the states, though. What was the first state to formally outlaw cannabis? Um, let's see. Is that the right question, Vince? I got, I've got the right one. Right? Outlaw? Okay, cool. All right. So which was the first state to formally outlaw cannabis? Was it Texas, Virginia, Massachusetts, or California? Texas, Virginia, Massachusetts, or California? Which one was the first to formally outlaw cannabis? Texas? Okay. Virginia. We got, we got Texas, we got Virginia, and I, somewhat ironically, California was the first state that banned cannabis over a century I was, ago. I was going to say California, but that was kind of too easy. Yeah, exactly, no, I, right? I, I failed biology and chemistry. Yeah. Oh, God. They okay. outlawed it. It didn't stop anybody, I guess. Maybe that. Yeah. Maybe that's what. Maybe that was what blurred my answer, right? <laughs> it also kind of makes you wonder about what's the nefarious. What was the nefarious hundred-year uh, plan uh, going on there? Which you know, we look now, we see okay, they're legalizing one of the first states to legalize it, and yeah, you know, it's not exactly. Uh, it, you know, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep those uh, those soapboxes away for the moment. <laughs> but uh, Kay, what do you got for number two? I think you got number, question number two lined up, right? All right, you have another chance to redeem yourselves. So sure. looking <laughs> looking ahead from prohibition to when we see the United States follow in the footsteps of the individual states and our neighbor to the north, Canada which was the first country to nationally 
legalized the sale of cannabis? Was it Canada, Uruguay, Paraguay, or Israel? Oh, damn. Which was the first country to nationally legalize the sale of cannabis? Canada, Uruguay, Paraguay, or Israel? I'm going to say Uruguay. Why? Because it's got a U in it. I'll say I'll say Israel. Canada is too easy. I'll say Israel. Okay, so Ophelia got her right. In 2015, hey. the first country in the world to make cannabis legal to grow and consume was Uruguay. Wow, that's great. You for uterus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so what are that, that's going to take us through uh, the you know, future <laughs> questions on the candy quiz. We'll look at you for uterus. <laughs> <laughs> it told me the answer. It, it was the winning strategy today. So there you go. Um, no, well, then I, a, I was automatically excluded then, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because the first question is said the C one, the C one. So never mind. That's a hard <laughs> joke to get. I won't say it. <laughs> All right. So look, no, this was this was a great conversation. It's uh it's really great to be to share the space with uh really such amazing leaders in the space. I mean, Ophelia, you mentioned that, you know, ACE was self-funded for how many years before now you're finally a nonprofit. That's because it shows the true passion and belief that you've had in what you're doing. And it's just a service to all of us in the industry, especially those of us in the Asians uh, that are in the space. So thank you so much for being here, you know. Uh, Frank, I mean, look, you know, blazing, blazing some trails at an organization and an association that is, you know, has, I'm sure, a lot of stigmas there. I can only imagine uh, that, you know, as much as they may be friendly to it and open to it, there's yeah. still got to be a lot of walls you got to break down. So thank yeah. you so much for trailblazing, you know, uh, absolutely. Um, so, look, you know, I want to say here before we close out, this is the end of season four. Kay, I want to thank you for being one of my great co-hosts here for the last couple of months here. It's been really awesome. You know, Chris Jackson has been a co-host here. I think Michael Webster was a co-host um, here season four. You know, um, I don't want to get emotional here, but it's the end of season four here. You know, Vince, I want to say, you know, Vince, I appreciate and love you, man. You know, you've been uh, such an amazing asset to, you know, this organization, to this movement, really, I think is the way I would put it. You've been just such a leader behind the scenes. I don't think most people even know what you look like, you know. Um, and you, know, you, just, you do it uh, without all the thanks out there. And, and you know, um, it's it's. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with season five. You know, it, I know that my preference, of course, would be to figure out a way to do this with you and continue mm -hmm. to do this with you, whether it's on NCA's platform or somewhere else. Um, but I know that you know it's it's just been a true honor and a pleasure to really have your guidance and your leadership. You've helped me out tremendously with figuring out how to get my voice right and my voice going. I know you've helped a lot of other people that have come onto the show as guests who were nervous and you've helped set this tone and make it sure everybody feels safe and welcome and warm. And you've always put, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, whatever we want to call these catchphrases, you know, the real social justice, whatever you want to call it, like at the forefront of everything you do at the organization on the show um, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't want to get too emotional, but I, I really, I'm really going to miss being able to work with you in this capacity, man. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot to you for the work you've done. And, you know, I really, I love you, man. So I just want to say that. Yeah. So anyway, um, with that said, uh, this has been a great, great episode, another great way to start the week, a great way to wrap the season. Um, thank you so much, everybody for joining us. And is that, what is that? What do, what do I see a picture of here? Oh, wow. Beautiful. That's oh, that's beautiful. beautiful.
Beautiful. Absolutely. Beautiful artwork behind you and in front of you, Ophelia. Mm -hmm. You have just amazing artwork everywhere. It's it's yeah. uh, incredible. Before we started, you had the camera turned the other direction. You had all these beautiful paintings on there celebrating Asian, Asian culture and art. Um, so, look, everybody uh, listening, thank you so much for, for being here with us and, um, and, and continue this journey. We're going to continue this journey in some capacities with you all. Uh, so stay plugged in and we'll continue to do this out. So thank you so much. Campus Minority Report. Everybody have a great one. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Mike. Hey, Ben. Bye, everyone. Ophelia. Great to see y'all. The Cannabis Minority Report is a production of the National Cannabis Industry Association. We are hosted each week by Mike Lamuto, and we were joined this week as co-host by Kay Villeman. Directed by Vince Chandler. Our producers are Bethany Moore and Aaron Smith, and our executive producers are Vince Chandler and Mike Lamuto.